Welcome to The Truth In This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today we're back. We're back in Louisiana. This is going to be The Truth In This Art Beyond New Orleans. Uh, today, I am just super, super, super psyched to bring on um, my guest. Let's just tap into this conversation. My guest is a four-time finalist for the James Beard uh, Best Chef in the South and uh, Bravo TV's Top Chef uh, Season 13 fan favorite. He's the owner and chef of Toops Meadery in New Orleans, Louisiana, and the author of the New York Times uh, Best Cookbooks of Fall, uh, Chasing the Gator, Isaac Toops, and the New Cajun Cooking. Please join me in welcoming Chef Isaac Toops. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Great to be here. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, welcome to The Truth in This Art. I'm your host, Rob Lee, and today I, I have the privilege of like being in the place to be. I'm in the in Toops Meadery. Yeah, this is this is Toops Meadery. Been here ten years uh, this April, and uh, through thick and thin, through fire and brimstone and hurricanes and COVID, we have, we have lasted. We we have outwitted the the, the witty. <laughs> I, I guess I could just go with it. Uh, welcome, Chef Isaac Toops. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for for coming on and. Um, and, and making the time for us, and um, you know, freshly shaved and bearded. Well, you know, that just for you, because because the podcast, I want to make sure I look beautiful, but just for you. I did the same thing for you. <laughs> That's what we're trying to match on. So, you know, I, I finally, in, in starting out this this podcast, I like to kind of work my way into things by having folks revisit like some of their like origins, like why they got started, because like, I think the why is important, right? So. Tell me about some of your like early creative culinary interests and like ultimately how some of those have led to where you're at now. I mean, it all starts in your mother's kitchen. I think that's what 99 percent of us uh, of the chefs do: mother, our fathers, or our grandmother's kitchen. And excuse me one second. Hey, doing a podcast here, guys. What? Doing a podcast here, guys. You're inside a restaurant. I think it all starts with our you know our mother's or our grandmother's kitchen. Um, and we get this, you know, this this fire in our life, and, the, and literally, it's like, Mom, I'm hungry, and, and Mom hand me a skillet and some eggs, and you know, I'm frying eggs where I can just see in it, and you know, it starts there, and then in Cajun country, everybody cooks, yeah. mother, father, brother, sisters, aunts, uncles, grandparents, everybody cooks, and you know, you either get it or you don't, and you're always either helping fetch water for the crawfish or, you know, help clean the ducks you, you killed. And then, you know, a lot of people just like can cook, but yeah. don't take it refreshing or don't take it to have this real fire of it where I had the fire. I was looking through my mother's cookbooks. I, w I was making beef wellington at 12. I was I was one of those guys who was like, uh, hey, yeah, my friend can't come over because I got to finish the wellington first to get it out the oven. We'll carve it and then we'll go play uh, with sticks and, and on BMXs. Uh, so I just love to eat and I love to cook. And, and that, that just kind of coalesced together. You know, my father, he's a very adventurous man. Yeah. So when the new very first sushi restaurant came out in, in, in small town Louisiana, we had to go and we were like, oh God, I hope it's good because my father's going to make us eat it. And you know, my father's going to make us eat anchovies and kimchi. And you know, at first he had to force it, but then it becomes like, oh God, I love this. And I'm always chasing those flavors and chasing that new, like new restaurant, we're going. Uh, I can't get this cuisine, I'm going to go to that country and find it. Uh, and I was like, oh, I tasted something at my friend's restaurant. I called my friend up, I was like, what's in this? He's like, shrimp paste. What is that? I'll go buy some. Never mind. So like the fire, it just like, it, it rages in me and I love that. And I love to eat more than I cook, but, uh, but we're cooking, but you got to cook it if you want to eat it. Right. So that's, that's where it's kind of long story short is where it came from. No, I love that. And 
you know, I, I think, you know, and I, and I like that you, you answered that, uh, that other sub question in there. What was your first time in the kitchen? So that's, that's great as well. And, you know, I'm a person that I want to go that I want to have the authentic version, right? I want to have as close to it. So I'm a person that enjoys to eat as well. So in coming down here, I'm like, all right. There's a lot of imitation shrimp and grits in Baltimore, and I was like, look, I get it, but it's not quite it. I was like, where's the swine? Where's, right. where's the pig? And so, as I was you know, saying before we got started, that's why coming down here is regenerative for me. It's like I'm kind of getting that sort of real thing. There are different interpretations, obviously, down here, but it's le- at least it's of the place, you know? So, when, when did you, like, arrive at this sort of, like, realization, this idea that you wanted to become a chef? Because a lot of people like cook, they go into it, and they're like, I really love this, but chef is, is a different thing, right? So talk about that. You can be a good cook and you can be a chef. There's two different things. You can be a great cook at your house, but chef means boss. It means you know run your own kitchen, run your own food establishment. So you can't be a chef at your house, but you can be a chef of a food truck. And you know those, those definitions are kind of willy-nilly. You know, there's no certification. People just ask me all the time, what's it, what's it take to be a chef? I said, well, put on a chef coat and get a bunch of yahoos to call you chef. On the other end of that, where, where I came into it, I was literally job hopping after my, the college try. You know, I went to semester of college and realized that, well, high school would kick my ass. I don't know why college would, would be any different. So I'm job hopping, literally job hopping. Now, this, uh, this time I'm cooking all the time. I'm still cooking. Yeah. And I grew up cooking, but I never put the two and two together to do it professionally. So I didn't get into cooking until I was 20, 21. Job hopping, I went worked at a, a TV station where I was in charge at night. Big disaster. Uh, well, I worked for a printing company with my brother. I worked in my father's dental office making dentures and a bunch of little jobs. And I'm like, oh, cooking, um, let me go try that. Literally just like, yeah, oh, yeah whatever job. Yeah. I'll go get that. And it was kind of a tourist trap, honestly. But and we were frying food and making uh, soups from bases. But I fell in love with like, it kicked. It hit me. You know, two weeks before that, like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Yeah. And two weeks later, I'm cooking. Yay! <laughs> I, I, I found it. Like, aha. I want to do this rest of my life. I want to be a chef. I want to have my own restaurant. I want to write a cookbook. It all hit me all at once. You know, these illusions of grandeur just all just like slap me in the face. I'm like, this is it. <laughs> that, that is that is wonderful. And um, you, you touched on it earlier, just sort of the the perseverance and having you know this space being around as long as it has, despite all of the things that have happened, uh, COVID, storms, all of the stuff, right? So. Talk about like incorporating some of your passions into this. I read about America's Wetlands and talk about incorporating that in your food philosophy, your menu, your approach to doing what you do. Well, that's a multi, multi, multi-tier question. I'll see if I can tag it all at once. <laughs> uh, you know, I always strive to be as local as possible. We have such a bounty around here. There's no reason to travel too far out the land to get what you need. In Louisiana, sure. we got pigs, we have crawfish, we got rice. All grows natural. We have a bounty of, uh, of food and whatnot that we can just harvest, we can just get. We've got the Mississippi River. We've got Lake Pontchartrain. we got the mighty Gulf of Mexico and whatnot. We have plains. We have swamps. So e- everything in our grass we have here, we, we can utilize. And I always wanted to u- use that. I see a lot of people with, you know, there's nothing wrong with scallops and there's nothing wrong with salmon. And there's nothing wrong with East and West Coast fish and, and produce and whatnot, but we have it right here. Sure. So at the meadery, the focus was always as local as possible. Now, sometimes that, that doesn't always work out. Like, I'm not sure where my all-purpose flour comes from. The salt could be milled from somewhere else, but all sure. 90%, 95%, I'd say the proteins all come from within 100 miles of here. And, and that makes me feel good, because it's all about 
celebrating the localness, but it's also about preservation. You know, uh, our fishes are uh, source. Um, our fishes are sourced reasonably. What am I, what am I trying to say? Responsibly. Uh, responsibly. Thank you, boys. Confusing my R words here. Uh, so you know, and that's very important because otherwise we'd have every Cajun with, with a gun uh, uh, back at the back of the restaurant going, "Hey, I, I killed half the the population of the deer. You want to buy it?" And that's why we have wildlife and fisheries, and that's why you have to have those regulations because sure. you can use as much as you want, but if it's not there next year. We're not going to have any of it, which kind of like brings a round trip to the conservation uh, efforts I try to help out with the coastal restoration of the wetlands. Uh, I think we lose a football field a day, and that's that's just nuts. I didn't know we had that much to lose. Uh, and it's, it doesn't grow back that fast. You can lose it, but it doesn't come back. And long story short, I can't speak for all the scientists and the engineers, but we need to get all the sediment back and rearrange it. Yeah. Rearranging that sediment is going to transfer a lot of oyster beds and a lot of shrimping beds which have been around for decades and decades and it's going to disrupt the farmers well that's not cool either yeah, yeah we can't disrupt the farmers but if we don't disrupt those beds then nobody's going to have anything in, in several years yeah so it's kind of this what i do is i kind of bridge the gap because i'm not a scientist i'm not a politician going coming in and going hey you have to move i don't care how long you've been here yeah where if i was an owner I'd be like to heck with you yeah we i'm not doing this so i have to i bridge the gap going hey look i'm one of you i'm born and raised in cajun country i swam in these waters and fish these waters my whole life i buy your product i'm the buyer we have to come to uh, have a tete to tete or a head to head yeah. to come up with a solution that helps everybody let's get these fishermen some money to move yeah. you know let's give them some incentives let's make sure make sure they're protected and whatnot because i think we can do it all uh, the, the problem is you, know, you get politicians and scientists uh, mixed together. They don't always agree with what to do. Mm-hmm. Fucking, fucking politicians. <laughs> I like I like that end point right there. Mm-hmm. I like that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it, I think it's important when you have a place um, and you're of the place and you're invested in the place and sort of that preservation sort of angle. And I always get into conversations around culture and, and food is obviously a big part of the culture in you know, New Orleans, but in the state, you know, obviously. So being able to preserve that and maintain, like, this is a part of this dish. And if we don't have this part of the land anymore, (laughs) then this dish is now changed. And so that part of culture changed. Everything is, everything is connected in that way, I think. Right. So noted, you're noted for your creativity. I read something about a little Sazerac and a little pork butt action, uh, crawfish cornbread. Let's, let's, we'll be talking, we'll be talking later. Um, so, to talk about like how you apply like sort of like you know classic you know Cajun background and cuisine to like sort of like what new Cajun is because I hear that as a term that's thrown around in the, the research and um, so talk about that a bit and I know that the book is part of it so talk about that please you know I, I, I struggle with the term new Cajun just because or contemporary Cajun which is one I prefer but still doesn't make a lot of sense what is new Cajun uh, what I tell people all the time kind of tug-in-cheek well it's whatever I make because I'm always going to have these background Cajun, C- Cajun mentalities, these Cajun instincts to make a dark roux, to smother something, to season aggressively with garlic and black pepper, to smoke it, to roast it hard, to use pig product, and to be bold in your face. And maybe it's a big plate of brown. You know what? I'm colorblind. I don't care. It might be ugly, but boy, it's going to taste good. It's going to bring you down your knees. You're going to eat so much. You're going to leave here with the damn meat sweats. Uh, so <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> so, you know, you know uh, I'm always going to have the Cajun backgrounds in my brain. That, that, that does not leave. I don't care what I'm, I'm trying to approach. I'm trying to approach a dish that has 
no Cajun background, but I still want to make it because I, I want to make it. Yeah. And I don't have these mental rules that say, oh, well, using anchovy and the braise. Well, that's not Cajun. I don't think that way. I put the anchovy in the braise and worry about the flavor later. And then my customers go, we don't care what you call this. Yeah. So I might use a Spanish braise on a lamb neck. I might use a South American uh, sauce on my shrimp dish. No one cares. There's a little fish sauce in my crab claw marinade. Yeah. No one cares. Because I'm, because it tastes good and they, they know you can get good Cajun food here, but they can also get slightly different stuff that you would close your eyes, you wouldn't be able to tell it wasn't Cajun. Because mm -hmm. it's made with the same sensibilities. And as far as creativity, yeah. I am the worst person on the planet for creativity. I really am, but, 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 but obviously people say I'm creative and I am, but I'm slow. I'm slow at creativity. It, it sometimes takes me months to come up with one menu item, but that menu item stays on the menu for 10 years because it's so damn good. Yeah, yeah. So if someone were to come in, and I actually used to do this all the time, it's like, uh, ask Chef for an off-the-tasting menu. And I tell the customer, no, you don't want that. You want the things I've been working on for years. It's on the menu. It's labeled. You don't want me to make something a la minute. I suck at this. I know. I, I did a whole season of Top Chef trying to do this stuff, and good God, I'm... Glad I made it as far as I did, with just my, my wit, my luck, and my charm. I think. <laughs> but come up with so if I want to create a special yeah. for Friday, I have the the previous Monday I have to start thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I'll repeat, and that's okay because it's all good. So I, I let my uh, my chef de cuisine and my sous chefs like, hey, y'all come up with specials, run them by me, and let's do it that way. Yeah. And once a month I might, hey, I've got an idea. Yeah. And so creativity, it's a slow, slow process. It cannot be forced. Uh, and when, anytime I try to force it, I just end up upsetting myself. I, I think I think that's interesting. I like, I like how you said in the beginning of like it had the sensibilities. I, I like that because I run into this on occasion. So you know, my podcast focused in Baltimore, but the the goal is arts and culture. So if I go to a different city, naturally, where am I going to go? Oh, that place has good food. That has this going on. That's an interesting place. And in talking with folks, I, I talked to folks on radio, and I was like. What do you guys think if I go out of Baltimore, if I go out of this? Is this stretching it too far? Am I going to have to explain this? And what I was told was people trust you in your brand of storytelling, your brand of facilitating storytelling. So if you're saying, hey, I'm going down to New Orleans to talk with folks, they know that the sensibility is there. They know that this approach is there. They know that this sort of brand and this sensibility is right there in the storytelling. Right. I've actually got kind of a similar thing that I do where um, I'm using ingredients that occasions don't normally use. So with lamb neck, I already talked about the lamb neck. I used to have to give the lamb neck away. People are like, a lamb neck? I'm not sure. Whoa, hold on. Now, you know, eight, ten years into this business, people are like, oh, what are you selling? Well, Isaac's selling it, so it must be good. And <laughs> right. like, I would never try that anywhere. I, never, I may never try bone marrow or tripe anywhere else or duck hearts for the love of God. Yeah. But like, oh, yeah, it's, it's Isaac? Oh, okay. Well, I trust that. Yeah. So yeah. I, I feel you. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of the same. Is there an ingredient that in your like experience that you're like i don't want to work with that at all i it, it, fear is a weird word right but that is like nope not going to do that not going to touch that not going to deal with that regardless like because i know it's um the creativity thing right it's a time thing um but is there an ingredient that comes to mind you're like i don't touch that not really um i haven't had the rotted shark from finland uh yet but i probably wouldn't like that but i mean i use ferments and i use shrimp paste and crab heads and I, I use crab roe i use bone marrow duck hearts chicken gizzards so i don't have a problem I, I can't think of any you know what here's the product and you, you're never gonna see this coming keep the unripe tomato off my fucking sandwich really the unripe tomato you get a tomato get a tomato sandwich in december no why would you there's no tomatoes growing <laughs> where, are those, where are those tomatoes keep the fucking unripe tomatoes off my fucking food 
Really? <laughs> you come at me with a good heirloom tomato ripe, man, put some mayonnaise on that or some white bread and a little salt and pepper, call it a day. And I'm fine with that. But good God. Yeah, everybody a, a sandwich. Mmm, this November tomato sandwich. <laughs> you, you lift it open on your burger. What is it? It's a green tomato. Yeah, you don't want that. Take it off. Get it out of here. I mean, uh, it, like, I, I joke about it. I have a, I have a buddy um, um, that is a definitely is a, 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 a forager mm-hmm. and mushroom forager, and that's just the climate, right? He's But he's originally, like, from Florida, so going up. And we talk about me being a food snob. And I'm very much in that sort of like, that doesn't belong, and I get it out of here. And I think in part, one, like having a lot of interest in like chefs and like listening to what they have to say, because you guys are very specific people. <laughs> mm, yeah, we are. And I think I nip. I, if this podcast is really neat. The stealing, like, all right, so leave the tomatoes alone. <laughs> leave the tomatoes alone. And it's, it's not that we're picky, it's we're particular. Mm-hmm. And I say that about my food. My food is the same way. It's my, Cajun food is not hard. Once I explain it to everybody, I shoot YouTube videos explaining details about roux and gumbo and what that, and a lot of people a lot of times go, that was it? Like, that was it. It may seem mystifying to you, and it may seem overly complicated, or some we're, we got some gree-gree in, in the pot, some, mm-hmm. we're doing some sort of voodoo, where, no, not really, we're just kind of paying attention to our food and paying attention to what's around us, and you know, we experiment. You know, my gumbo is different from my father's gumbo. It's also different from my mother's gumbo. We kind of take dishes and, and go our own route, and yes, gumbo has to have dark roux, but all the other ingredients are kind of what you like. I have certain rules about what my gumbo is. I don't mix seafood and land. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one or the other, and if it's seafood, it's a stew, it's not a gumbo. But these are kind of made-up rules. Yeah, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, I think flavor and what you like and what you do to it is more important than, like, observing the actual rules. You might get some hate online, sure, but you get hate online doing Mother Teresa's work. So, what, so fuck them. 100%. <laughs> so talk, talk about your experience working with Emerald. Uh, working with Emerald, uh, you know, I started my, my real culinary professionalism at Emeralds del Monaco in the year 2000 uh, and I had just worked at this little touristy place before that so I, I'm literally quite literally know nothing professionally about cooking I just I was enamored with the whole thing and I walk in there and you know the chef at the time took a gamble on me and put me on fry cook I was the happiest fry cook you'd ever seen I'm sitting there and everybody else is like oh god I don't want to work fry I'm sitting there on fry with a smile on my face you could not have beat off you, you know um, um, a, a, a rubber handle chef knife, a paper chef a chef hat. They gave me a coat, to, a you know, rental coat to wear, and with the check pants and, and the non-slip shoes. And I'm going, yay! <laughs> Happy. I was doing like extra, extra work yeah. uh, for everybody. Like you know, everybody go take a break, take a smoke break. I would be there trying to learn how to chop shallots properly. Looking over the pantry, like, ooh, I can't wait to get to pantry. You know, I was I was the the the, the young buck who was just like, this guy is way too excited to be here, and it was. And I and I shot up through the ranks. I ended up leaving ten years later, second in command. Helped reopen after Hurricane Katrina. Yep. Helped out with you know, different offsites and whatnot. Almost knocked over Chef Emil's Picasso in time. And working with Chef Emil, it was great because even though we didn't get a lot of one-on-one time at first, the first probably six, seven years, you know, hey Chef Emil, and after a couple of years, you're like, oh Isaac. And then a little while later, Isaac, hey, what's going on? How's Amanda yep. and whatnot? My wife and it ended up being Isaac walked me out. There's a weirdo in the back, and I know you have a knife on you, and you look, you look like you take somebody's head off. You know, to doing private events with him, yeah. and, you know, uh, uh, and to this day we still remain friends. Uh, he wrote the forward to my cookbook. Yeah. Uh, can't think of enough of that. But more importantly, Chef Emil taught me uh, than any food thing was how to take care of your people. Because yeah. Chef Emil, will, 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 he's going to work you. If you work for Chef Emil, you're going to work hard. You're going to work long hours, and I'm okay with that. But really, you know, when, when Hurricane Katrina hit, 
right off the bat, he wrote his personal checks from his checkbook, made sure we had a place to stay and a job within a week. Yeah. It's, 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 like, it's like, well, he had this emergency system in, in, in plan. It worked. He got us all jobs. I went to Orlando. We cooked for a couple months there. We had a place to stay. And when we came back to New Orleans, we all had jobs. If you stayed in the company, we all had jobs. So always remember that. You take care of your people. And, and I try to hold it. If I take care of all my staff, then they, they'll take care of the restaurant. Yeah. So that's what, uh, that's what it is. And it's one of, the, one of the few secrets that a lot of people who've been in the business a long time will never understand. <laughs> is take care of your employees. And your employees like two, two main things. And the second one is respect. And the first one is money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, well, like, like it's, it's one of those things. It's like, what's the language that we're, we're speaking here? And in times, you know, when I go into the day job or what have you, and I'm like, how do you, how do you keep people here? We have it, uh, uh, what was it, uh, attention rate or whatever, we lose people, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, why are we losing people? Because you're not paying them what they're worth or they feel that this is toxic or this sucks or whatever. Right. And people don't do that actual listening. It's like, yeah, we'll give you guys an extra day off. No, 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 no. no. It's, it's, it's not a pizza party. It's, it's, it's respect, a little creativity on the menu. Yeah. I, I recently gained several employees because their previous job, their chef wouldn't let them do specials, put stuff on the menu. And I'm like, do specials, put stuff on the menu. Hey, chef, can we do this? Like, let me taste it. This is delicious. Let's go. Yeah. They, they want that, especially chefs. Mm -hmm. and especially when, when your blue-collar work uh, meets meets creativity, and, and that's what that's what kitchen work is. Yeah. It starts off as this blue-collar work, hard-working. You know, you're back there, you're sweating, and then it gets to, like, craftsmen. Well, I'm crafting this, this dish that I also have to repeat every, every night. Mm -hmm. And then the artistry, the artistry takes over where you think about flavors and textures and ingredients and really how the whole thing will meld so cooking is one of those jobs where it really does kind of have that whole scape that whole range of hard sweating work to this wonderful artistry on the other side of it yeah. and it's a beautiful thing that sometimes can be absolutely fucking stressful so i gotta ask uh, and i should have asked this earlier but i think i'll ask it now what's your what's your signature dish Oh, I hate that question. I know. We all I hate know, that question. I know, I'll tell you. but I gotta ask. I'll tell you. Signature or signature dish? Signature dish. Let me see. The dish, probably um, here for the third time. I'm going to say the lamb neck, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Because uh, I had lamb neck one time, and it was grilled, and I realized that you could you could buy just a straight up four vertebrae lamb neck, and it's it's only a little bit smaller than like our necks and whatnot. And you get them, and it's like spine on one another and a flap of meat. I'm like, boy, I want to braise that down. Well, what do I want to braise it down in? I want to braise it down in a shitload of red wine and a lot of garlic and some anchovy because that's, that's very Spanish and I'll serve it over black eyed peas. And like I said, when I first, first time I sold it, could not give one away. Yeah. I'd give one away, they send it back. I'm like, no, free, and like, we don't want to try it. I had people say, chef, what kind of the lamb neck is, is it? I'm like, I had to literally put my hand on my neck and go like, neck, the actual, <laughs> the actual <laughs> neck and it took people a long time but I, I stayed true to myself I was like no it's gonna stay on the menu we'll cook a couple a week we'll keep the rest frozen we'll take them out cooking as go and it took me a long time for them to actual sell and now they sell great and now people trust me so I said that lamb neck was the first one my pork chop might be more uh, more famous yeah. and the cracklings put me on the map uh, but I didn't invent any of those dishes. Of course, I didn't invent the pork chop. But that braised lamb neck over black eyed peas with pickled fennel mm -hmm. is something that I truly did create. It was truly one of the better things I've ever done. Yeah. And it, it is my signature because, like, that would be Isaac's signature the damn braised lamb neck. I, that's what I was thinking when you mentioned it. I was like, you don't like this question, but also you're going to say it's the braised lamb neck. <laughs> 
Yeah, you're right. Um, and there, there are, like I said, there are several dishes through, yeah. throughout. You know, there's a wonderful elk dish on the menu I have right now that I did take from Top Chef that I did create on there. And there's a crab claw recipe that I, I uh, tweaked off of my father's ceviche recipe. And uh, my grandmother, the couvillon that's on the menu right now is her dish. That's my great, that's my grandmother Toops. And I know the audience can't see this, but it's a picture of my grandmother holding up a giant uh, catfish, which she caught in the backyard. Oh, wow. <laughs> and you see the pond in the background. I do. And you see, you see the barn. The yes. barn has a big T for tubes, dilapidated swing set you got to have. So I, that's, I literally grew up in Cajun country, <laughs> swimming, fishing, catching fish, crawfish, oysters, hunting, and, and all that. And I thought that, well, this is normal. This is normal. Everybody, everybody has pig roast, right? Yeah, yeah. Everybody has a bowl of crawfish. Or during the season, everybody t gets oysters out the water and shucks them, right? Well, it turns out, no. no you don't. <laughs> so I grew up with this rich culinary yeah. uh, Cajun upbringing that I just thought was normal. And so it wasn't until I moved out and I'm like, oh, what do y'all eat? <laughs> what does your mom cook? My mom doesn't cook. I am so sorry. Your dad cooks? He doesn't cook either. Do you starve? So, I, one of the uh, one of the interviews I did before coming over here, and they're like, "So you having a crackling over there or nah?" That was literally what I was asked. I was like. Tell me more about this crackling. It's like, you got to talk to him about the crackling. Yeah. <laughs> so your crackling precedes you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and then that's one of those issues. It's, that's Cajun street food. Mm. Uh, and it's sold in, a lot of times in gas stations mm. and, uh, and, and under a big heat lamp, sometimes even in, just in a bucket. Yeah. And it's not to be confused with chicharron or pork rinds, yeah. which are also good, just not crackling. Yeah. So a chicharron or a pork rind would be just the skin, dehydrated and fried. Yeah. Very crispy. You've, seen, you've had them before. Yeah. But the... Um, crackling, or in Cajun country, we call them gratin. 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 Um, but everybody else in is crackling, so we'll just say that. And it's a double fried skin on pork belly. It starts off with a cold render. I've gone through many explanations. It's in the book. I've got a YouTube video about it, but you still won't be able to re reproduce it. It's that technical. And the technical thing about it is, it is literally just two ingredients to start. We start off cold, cold lard with cold skin on pork belly, and we render that down slow at first and then faster after about 45 minutes to an hour until the skin starts to pop. And then we remove those from the fat, we cool those down, yeah. and then we deep fry them in peanut oil at 400 to order. So that's why they're the best in the round because I don't fry them until you order them. And then I hit them with my, um, we call it crack spice. Because you say cracklins enough times, it ends up being crack. Fire, you won't hear me say fire order cracklins. You'll hear me fire crack. You won't hear me say, <laughs> you won't hear me say fire order of boudin. You'll hear fire booty. Fire booty crack is something I say 10 times a night and it makes me laugh every single time. It makes time. me laugh right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, booty crack. <laughs> that's 100%. My, my, my partner is here. I know she's laughing at me because this is literally what I talk about every night. It's like, yeah, man, it's, it's a booty crack episode we're doing right now. Totally. This is the booty crack episode now. Um, so you, you've mentioned it before. And, I, and this is like, I got two more questions and then we'll be in the rapid fire with the uh, lanyard part of the podcast. Oh, oh, you're bringing, up, you're bringing up the words. I'm you trying. said it right. Thank you. Um, so, you know, just, you know, tapping on, um, you know, Top Chef a little bit, uh, like, how would you say, like, it's really, like, impacted, like, your career, like, that experience going through that sort of process? How did that impact your career? Uh, it definitely uh, got me a lot more exposure. I mean, that's national television, and I was treated very well in the show, and I, lo I love the show. I've, I've gone back and do some little side projects, Top Chef amateurs and whatnot, and little side gigs and whatnot. But, boy, it really get, it just puts you on blast. And I don't know if this is this predates the when, when, when I went on. When I went on Top Chef, it really you know, blew, blew me up. Yeah. I, now, I had a location restaurant, and it was doing good, and it was doing fine, but I never had to worry about filming the restaurant up again for years after that, and it helped get me a cookbook deal and helped me get 
other television deals that probably helped me get this this little podcast and whatnot. So I had a TV show in Food Network. I've had a bunch of other little small shows. I've got some paid gigs. Those are nice. Yeah. A couple little sponsorships, and those things still keep coming in. Probably all from just like that 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 season of Top Chef. So what I tell to other chefs who were hesitant about doing silly TV stuff. And it is silly TV stuff. All these competition shows, they're all silly TV. Doesn't mean they're bad for you. People like to watch this stuff. And yes, it's weird, and people would be weird, but it can also get you to a certain level to where like, I now own this restaurant, and I now own the, the building as well. And, and, all, and all the loans have been paid off. Love so that, that, that helps you out with your brand, yes. Doing TV is weird. Boy, I will admit 100%. And uh, I was kinda, I had, I had one up on everybody because, I got this thing you can't buy, you can't earn. It's personality. You, you, you have a lot of it. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I can't turn it off. That's the problem. If you, if you call me up and said, Isaac, hey, we want to do something serious. I'm like, no, call, call Thomas Keller. Uh, you want to do, do something serious? Hey, Isaac, I got a show for this, like this jackass chef goes on and lights stuff on fire. Well, you call the right guy. I'm here for you. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I'm, I'm this way on TV and I'm this way on podcasts. I'm this way in a, in, in a truck. Uh, eating, eating catfish and drinking a beer with you. I'm, I'm the same guy. It's, uh, so, so I've always been this guy. You know, I get it. I get it from my dad. It's kind of a family trait. We're just wild. I, I say what I like, and these days people like that. Yeah, yeah. People like it when I, when I make an, an, an off-color joke or use, use some curse words or say something just silly that flew in my head. They're like, "We love that, Isaac. Keep going." I'm like, "Really?" Because being it, a smartass in high school wasn't really great. Because it's, it's authenticity. It's, it is. It, it's a thing where you know when we started is like I always try to find my way into getting into the conversation. And especially, I think, in doing it in this sort of capacity, doing it in the space. If this was on Zoom, not the same, right? It's right. Doing it in the space is like, oh, you just activated. I noticed when you activated at one point. I was like, oh, okay. He doesn't know who I am. Oh, now there, there he is. Here, here he is. Here's Isaac. Yeah. So this is the last question I got for you. Last real question. Um, I'm very interested in this concept on home, right? Like, what, what is home? How do we bring it with us when we leave that, that, that land that we are from, that land that we have that connection with? When you visit somewhere else, when you leave where you're at, how do you bring home with you? You know, I just bring all that, all that mentality that, you know, I grew up Cajun country, two hours uh, west of here. Um, you know, there's already a good bit of Cajun in New Orleans, but everywhere I go, I just try to be myself. You know, I hold doors open for women. I, if I come over to your house, I'm bringing something to eat or I bring you something to drink. Yeah. There's no, no, no planet where I break one of those, those social norms that I grew up with. And the same thing with like, hey, end of the night, let's put on some music and let's do a little dancing because that's what my, my, the, what, what I was raised. Oh, hey, let's have a get together every, every Sunday because that's how I was raised. So I try to keep every little thing that I was raised upon with me to this day and to wherever I go and extend it with friends and tell those stories and tell those Cajun jokes and have that Cajun sensibility. You know what? Let's go sit on the porch and play a little guitar. I can't play worth a shit. Who cares? No one does. Right. You know, let, let's, let's, let's have those conversations. And, you know, small talk is very Southern. And gift giving is very Southern. And, you know, and, and celebrating. You know, we, we love to throw a party. Mm -hmm. We got a festival every, every weekend for the next six months. We got, we got Jazz Fest. We got French Quarter Fest. We got Sashmo Fest. We got Oyster Fest. We, got <laughs> we love to throw a party. We love to have an AM drink. It's called brunch. You know, I tried to do that. You know, I tried. Yeah. I tried to go in. And I was like, I'm going to a person's place. I consider this a studio visit. It's customary for me. I got to bring the person something. Right. They've invited me to their space. Yeah, I got, I got me a cool ass hoodie, which I love. Thank so, you. So, so there you, you should turn into a cutoff because it's hot as shit down here. <laughs> so, thank you. Um, and I, I want to hit you with the the rapid fire questions. Rapid the, fire. I love these actually. The let's, land, yep, let's, let's make it happen. Um, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna remove that first one. What is your favorite animal? Uh, favorite animal, the mantis shrimp. It can see 16 million colors. It can punch through glass. I love it. Mine's is an alligator. Nice. Um, I got one a tattoo on my back. I'll show you that's later. Great. That's great. Uh, what celebrity would you want to cook for that, you, that maybe you haven't, and what would you want to cook for them? Dead or alive? Uh, either. Deal is short. Julia Childs. Julia Childs is one of those, you know, you know, those figures I never got to meet, but just her bringing the culinary world to TV and, and her her mental aspect of cooking and her ideas and just like what, what you hear about her and, and the shows they have about her. And you just see her and she's full of life. And I would want to serve her my grandmother's cuvion, which we talked about, because that's like, that's like the real Cajun dish that, you know, that also bridges the gap from French to Cajun. And it's, 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 you're able to tell a story. It's like it starts with the French roux, but down here we hit it with the southern seafood, coalesces to make this beautiful dish. And we also add the crab fat rice, which I invented, to really kind of round it out. Like French grandmother me and to Miss Julia Childs with a stiff gin drink. Love it. Because she loved that gin. And, and, I, and I love the, 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 the thing that you mentioned there, the storytelling component about it. Like, you know, like this is uh, facilitating the storytelling, right? Like, I'm throwing up the questions. You're just answering. You're, you're weaving a story within it. And I like that when people are talking about the work that they're doing, whether it be I had an interview someone earlier from um, New Orleans School of Ballet, right? And she was talking about dance as a storytelling mechanism. And you just described food as a storytelling mechanism in that particular scenario. So it's always great to see how those things kind of connect through creativity. Sounded good when you said it. Dang. <laughs> I try. Uh, what is the weirdest dish you think you've ever made? Uh, oh, the weirdest dish I ever made was a confit chicken gizzard salad. Now, I made a warm ham hock vinaigrette, and I poured that o over spinach to wilt the spinach a little bit, chopped egg, shaved red onion, confit chicken gizzards, uh, and toasted pistachios. Probably one of the better salads I've ever made in my life. Could not give it away. <laughs> ham hock vinaigrette and chicken gizzards. Uh, and to the normal person, even the wild, even the experimental person was like, yo, I don't know, man. I just don't know. You want a little left, bro. Uh, yeah, you, you, exactly. That was one, I might have to try and bring it back because it was my favorite salad I ever made. Yeah. The staff liked it. My wife liked it because my wife, if she doesn't like it, will tell me. It was delicious. I had food critics taste it. They were like, this is amazing. Couldn't give one away. So that's probably the wildest thing I've ever cooked. That, that, that'll put me in a spot where they don't have vision. I always do that. Right, right. Whatever. <laughs> something like, they don't have vision. They're, these Philistine palates. Right. <laughs> My, my whole my whole deal was like, did you taste it? Did you taste it? Mm -hmm. Shut up. Last last rapid fire question. Um, for so for someone that knows absolutely nothing about Cajun food, what would, what would the entry point be for you in terms of like, because it's about taste, it's about flavor. What would be that entry point dish for someone that like I know nothing. I'm skeptical. I know nothing about Cajun food. A link of boudin. A hot link of boudin on a piece of white bread with nothing else on it. Because the white bread at this point is the napkin. It's the holder because it's, boudin is a cooked sausage. Uh, sorry, they're all cooked sausage, but it's, it's cooked beforehand with pork butt and liver. I use chicken liver. Traditionally, it's uh, pork liver. And it's mixed with rice, green onions, cayenne pepper, garlic. And then it gets piped into a, a link of uh, uh, boudin, a link, a link of sausage. And then it gets steamed off. And you get it hot. And it's delicious. It's almost like savory pudding. It's, it's got this wonderful, it's, that might be off pudding right there. Savory pudding, Isaac, you lost me. But it's wonderful because it's spicy, it's delicious, it's rich, and you can eat it for lunch, and you just wipe your face with the, with the white bread and finish eating that. Drink a, <laughs> drink, drink a beer while you're doing it. I won't tell that you're on lunch break. That's great. And um, that's it, actually. So 
I want to thank you for, for taking the time to chat with me. Of course. And um, I want to invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks, the listeners, where they can come here to the meadery to follow you, all of that good stuff. The floor is yours. Uh, this is Isaac Toops, chef, owner, janitor, bouncer at Toops Meadery. Instagram handle Toops Meadery. Uh, you come see us in Mid-City. We've been here 10 years. Uh, best food and crack on the Saturday of Chafalaya. Love you guys. So there you have it, folks. I want to again thank uh, Chef Isaac Toops for coming on to the podcast and chopping it up with me and indulging the questions. And I'm Rob Lee, saying there's art, culture, and delicious food. Just just get the crack. Get, it, get, get all of it. Just come down. Uh, you just got to look for it.